we, we've been talking about just um, some of what not to do when it comes to living out the message and the life that, that God wants you to live out. And this was a clear example of, of how not to live, how not to relate to people, and, and just clearly um, um, what, what's extremely offensive. And so, but we have, we've been looking at um, what, what I've been calling a message series called Undeniable, just talking about the difference that Christ has made in us. If, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, then he's made a real difference in your life. And you have a story to tell people about. I mean, you don't necessarily have to, you certainly shouldn't uh, push it and be obnoxious like this character was, um, but you do have a story to tell. And as people get to know you and they get near your life, um, sometimes God opens up the opportunity for you to share that. Other times, um, it's just through the way we live that this very powerful message is just communicated through the life of, uh, of a person who's following God and has surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And it's, it's very attractive. Scripture says that it, it ought to be like, our lives ought to be like stars that are shining in the universe. You know, stars that they, they attract attention. And um, that attention is not to draw, be drawn towards ourselves, but the Scripture says that as people are drawn towards, you know, uh, as people are drawn to see what's going on in our lives, it ought to drive them to investigate further about who God is and, and, and why, why we live the way we live. And so... Uh, but we've been looking at this, and this um, message today is really to talk about what is it we're supposed to, you know, what is the message that that um, we live by, and just to really clarify, what is the message that 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 is summed up within the scriptures, the pages of the Bible, and um, you know, this guy here, this character in the in the movie, apparently he was um, he claimed to be a follower of Christ, and he was trying to invite his coworker to a Bible study, and. Uh, um, he went about it his own way, you know, and he just kind of hammered um, her with this message at the end in a, in a somewhat kidding way. But you got to wonder how that impacted her. And I wonder how it impacts people if we're not careful with the way we live and, the, the, and what we say as we're relating to people. Um, certainly our, our words carry great meaning and, and power. And, and so um, this guy just blew past um, her feelings he blew past her as a person, and he just pushed his own agenda upon her. And um, I really want to look at this, um, that, this whole approach that he used and, and then spin that to what God says we ought to try to do in our relationships. I don't think I've ever used an approach quite like this, but I certainly have had um, my share of conversations with people who are still seeking. They're, they're processing what it means to follow Christ, and they're, they're, they're wondering if this is for them. And... Um, and I've had my share of conversations with people who are in the process of investigation that I wish I could just rewind the tapes and start over because I feel like sometimes I've said way too much. Sometimes I haven't said quite enough. Um, sometimes I feel like I've overwhelmed a person. I'm about, they're about to keel over and die because I'm, I'm putting them to sleep with just way too much information. They ask one simple question, and I'm like, well, let me tell you. And I, you know, and I, and I hold them hostage in a sense for three hours, and, and they're like, okay, I'm out of here, you know, and or other times where I, I've, I felt like I've been too scared to even share what I believe um, because I don't want to um, offend or I don't want to ruffle their feathers or I don't want to put them in an awkward position. So we live with these two extremes, sharing too much, sharing not enough. And so what I want to do is just to talk slightly about this whole uh, challenge because there, 
there will be times in our lives when we really need to understand what does this message clearly say? What is the core message of, of our faith? And so um, specific questions I want to answer today is, is that. What's the core message of the Christian faith? And then also, how much should I share? Because let's face it, you know, the Bible is, is pretty huge. And so if you're, if you're being... If you're trying to figure out what is it, what is it exactly that I believe, what is it, what's the main point of my beliefs? It's really important to be able to to narrow down the beliefs of a follower of Christ, and so I want to address that. And then another thing is, when should I share, and how should I go about sharing? The Scripture gives us some very, very important guiding principles to our approach and just um, sharing our faith. And so um, I want to look at the first guiding principle. <clears throat> for a follower of Christ is this. It's found in 1 Peter 3.15. And <clears throat> this book is written by one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy named Peter. He followed after Christ. He was one of his friends, but also one of his disciples. So Jesus poured into this guy. And this was one of the men that carried on, one of the key men that God used to carry on and expand the, the Christian faith after Jesus died and was resurrected and went to heaven. There was these followers who were really committed to his message. And so this guy, Peter, he's written a letter. And First Peter is, is one of his letters to the church, to the Christians that were around at that time. And he wrote this letter to circulate among all the churches. And the message of this letter was one of the key messages that you hear in First Peter is, as a Christian, you're going to face some hard times. Because in those days, um, there was tremendous persecution on the church. People who believed in Christ were suffering for their faith because it was in a very hostile environment. Um, mainly because Christianity was, it was born in a, in a setting that just did not accept it. Um, for, the Jewish, um, for the Jewish, you know, Jesus and the followers of, you know, most of the disciples were Jewish men. Well, all of his disciples were Jewish men. But, you know, it, the message of Christ was rejected by so many of the of the Jews in that day that, that that posed a real problem, created a real hostile environment. And then the Roman authorities had a real strong tie to the Jews. And so the Romans were able to carry out punishments um, whenever the Jews put pressure on them. And so Christians paid a dear price to keep their faith. And um, in the first century, there's just, um, there was just tremendous suffering and persecution for, for those that decided to hold on to their faith and not to reject it, because Christians were um, oftentimes given that option. You can hold on to this faith or you die. And, and many died for that. And so Peter's writing and he's saying, look, hang in there. He, you know, you're going to endure some tremendous suffering. And he gives them this verse, because one of the things is, um, Whenever you're going through suffering, if people around you are watching you suffer for faith or for what you believe, that, that conjures up questions in people's minds like, why would you do this? Why would you die for this? Why would you be ridiculed and, and beaten for this faith? And so Peter's answering this question. He's saying, you know, when those kinds of questions come up, when people are wondering, why are you willing to pay this price? Then he says in 1 Peter 3.15, he says this, but in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And uh, it's really three parts of this verse here. And the first part, you know, he's saying you need to nail down, you need to set apart Christ as Lord. This word set apart, it's the word that translates in, in the Greek, holy. So 
It's, it's, in a sense, it means to set him apart, to put, to put Christ in the proper place of our lives. For those who follow Christ, um, that decision is to not just, um, not to just uh, acknowledge some things cognitively or not to just accept some things in your head, but to also surrender your will to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, first things first, nail down this issue. Set apart Christ as Lord. Make sure you've nailed down who's the boss in your life. Are you going to be the boss or is Jesus going to be the boss? Once you've nailed that down, that's kind of like nailing a stake in the ground that roots our lives. And so he's saying, this is the most important thing. Set apart Christ as Lord. Then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, there are times when people wonder, why do you believe that? Why, why have you made Jesus the Lord or the boss of your life, the one who, who's in charge? Why not just live life for yourself and be, be in charge of your own life and call your own shots and rules? And he's saying, so whenever people ask you that, you need to know what the answer is. You need to be prepared to give the answer. The word answer, um, we get the word apology from this word. And, but what it really means is it's, to, it's a defense of the faith. That word answer really means a defense of the faith. Um, and it really fits the context of this passage to where there's suffering. And he's saying, you need to be prepared to defend why you're suffering. You need to understand why just exactly what it means so be prepared to share the the reason that you have hope and again we're going to look at what that reason is but he says this but do this with gentleness and respect that's the end of the verse that's the that's a really important part of that verse that sometimes we just kind of forget it gets kind of dropped off we 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 think oh i've got this message i want to share and sometimes we blow past in our in our excitement in our in our in our zeal for for our faith we blow past people's feelings, the boundaries, and we just kind of rush right in and people can get pretty beaten up in the process. But these words, gentleness and respect, or gentleness and meekness, you might find somewhere in another version. But gentleness, um, could, actually gentleness can be translated as meek, which is meekness is power that's been under control. So a stallion, a wild stallion is, is a powerful animal. We all agree with that. But, you know, once that stallion has been broken and now the person riding it, he's able to control this horse and get it to do what it wants, right? It's, it's kind of a similar thing. There, there's this powerful message that's inside followers of Christ. It's powerful. It can change lives. It has changed um, many lives in this room. And so you, there's, there's excitement, but you've got to allow Jesus to, to bring that power under control. And to choose a really um, wise approach in the way that we relate. Otherwise, uh, we become arrogant. We become know-it-alls. Just like you see in, this, in that video clip. And that's just, um, all that does is just puts walls up. And then he says, just be respectful. Be respectful. Gentleness and respect. This was the approach that Jesus used. Jesus, as he was relating and as he was carrying out his ministry, he, he, was, a, he was gentle with people. He was sensitive to the needs, to the backgrounds of the people that he was meeting. He didn't just uh, he didn't just rush right to his point, but he he would ask him questions. He'd learn about people's lives. He, he really cared genuinely about his hearers, about his audience, about his friends. And now he didn't change his message. He didn't water down the truth of what of what God said, but he would contextualize what he was saying to fit the meaning 
or to fit the, the setting of those conversations and of those relationships. And so that's really a guiding principle, just understanding um, you know, how to be gentle and respectful. And we're going to look at that. But the truth is, if God is moving in a person's heart, I know when, when I came to the point where I was really ready to surrender my life to Christ and walk with Him, there came a point when I just needed to know, okay, what's the core message? I really want to know what, what is it I need to know and believe to, um, to turn towards God. And that comes up. And when that comes up, we need to be prepared to share the core message of salvation. That's really important, to understand what is the core message of, of the faith. Uh, if you'd like to, you can follow along. There's a listening guide in your outline. Some of the verses and points I'll be going over in there. And, but that's really the crux of 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared. You know, we need to be prepared to give the core message of salvation. Now, there's a lot more that's in the Bible that we do not need to share um, all at once. And, and uh, it's okay to focus on the most important things. And so I want to look at what are those things that, that really summarizes and wraps up the Christian faith. There was a jailer who asked a question. You see it here up on the screen. It's Acts 16.30. And this jailer, he says this. It says, he brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And in Acts 16, the context of this is Paul and a man named Silas were starting churches in different cities. And um, in one of these places, um, there was a, a demon-possessed um, girl who was, um, had the power to tell fortunes. And so she was making a lot of money for her owner. And so, but she was following along Paul and Cyrus, and she, she through, her, through the demon that was working inside of her, she was able to have supernatural ability to understand who these men were. And so she was kind of annoying them, and Paul turned at one point and he dealt with the demon and cast this spirit out of this girl well as you can imagine you know everybody was like oh my gosh what just happened something supernatural just happened before our very eyes and um people were were conflicted well the owners of this girl were ticked because this was their source of income and now she was no longer capable of pulling off her duties and so they were ticked and um, they rounded up an angry mob. Paul and Silas were beaten, stripped of their clothes, beaten some more, and thrown in prison. And, and in the middle of the night, they're, they're even told, the jailer was told to lock them up, make sure that they didn't escape, and lock them up. So they chained them up. Middle of the night, they're singing songs, Paul and Silas, and there's other prisoners in there. And Paul and Silas are just having a little church service, apparently, and they're singing. And then all of a sudden, there's this violent earthquake. And the doors from the jails all open, and the chains all come off, all the men. And the jailer rushes in there, and all the prisoners are free, including Paul and Silas. And the jailer grabs a sword to run himself through because he knew that he, he, his life was now on the line, and he would have paid a dear price because he let these men go. At least that's the way it would have seemed. And Paul says, stop, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And then he asks this question. The jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know. He had, God had gotten his attention. Oftentimes in our lives, God gets our attention and we are open to hearing, what is it, tell me the truth about um, what this whole message of Christianity is. This jailer was all ears. And you read in this, uh, it's not up on the screen, but I want to tell you what happens with the story. 
Um, so Paul, he responds. He says, here's what you need to know. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. He's the one that probably inflicted some of these wounds. Now he's been reborn in a sense, and he's changed from the inside, and he's cleaning the wounds that, he'd, that he had um, inflicted upon these men. And, but Paul, took, Paul and Silas took the time to explain the message of Jesus. Um, it doesn't really tell us. It would be neat if we could have been a fly on the wall to know exactly what he told them. Um, but he went and explained the message of Jesus. And that's what I really want to look at. Um, what I'm going to try to do is give the answers from the pages of Scripture as far as the core message. Because you can, you can take lots of the encounters in the Bible and, and see what it was the apostles or the followers of Jesus decided to really focus on. And so let, let's look at those things together. <clears throat> if you're asking the question, what is it I need to believe? What do I really need to believe? First, I must believe, I must be reasonably convinced or convicted that that there is a God. That's the first thing. Just establishing this, this and nailing down the fact there is a God. <clears throat> These Paul, that same guy, and another character named Barnabas were doing ministry in another area. If you back up in Acts chapter 14, I'll, <clears throat> the verses I want you to see are going to be up on the screen, but they're in a different area called Lystra, and they were, they were uh, doing ministry, and they come upon a crippled man who'd been crippled from birth, couldn't walk. And Paul says, he prays for the guy and he tells him to get up. And the guy gets up and, and is healed. And again, all these innocent bystanders see this miracle happen and they're just like, what in the world? What's going on here? So they start, this was a, uh, uh, a place where the, the worship was of Greek gods in Lystra. And so these, the people, the Lyconian people, they were... Uh, they worshipped, you know, Zeus, some of the Greek gods. And, and so they thought Paul and Barnabas were gods themselves that had come down to earth. So they called Paul, I think they called him, <clears throat> I think it was, he was probably Hermes, yeah. And Barnabas was Zeus. And so the people start offering sacrifices. They wanted to offer sacrifices to these gods that they thought were, had come down. And, and Paul and Barnabas, as soon as they realized what was going on, they, they said, stop, wait, don't, don't offer sacrifices to us and he says we're just men and then he gets to this verse verse 15 we're bringing you good news we're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living god the god who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them in the past he let all nations go their own way yet he has not left himself without testimony he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season he provides you with plenty of food and he fills your heart with joy So the, the people's understandings was that there was multiple gods to worship. And Paul was just saying, there is a God who's personal. There's a God who loves you, and he provides for you. He's the one that's responsible for the rain, causing the crops to grow up, that nourish you. He's the one that fills your hearts with joy. He's the one that allows you to really live and, and to, to find meaning. And he's saying, that's the God. He says, you know, in the past, you know, he has not left himself without testimony. He's saying, even his works ought to um, be enough to convince people that, wow, somebody's in charge of all this. The fact that rain's coming down, crops, and all these seasons that people are taking care of, 
Someone's responsible for this. He has not left himself without testimony. Just within his creation, he has demonstrated that there is a God. And he's personal. He cares about us. That's really in, this, in these verses. He's saying he, he fills our hearts with joy. He takes care of the fact that we're hungry. He meets those needs in our life. And I, I remember in college when um, there, was a, there was a new student who was learning English in my school, and he ended up living right next door to me. And uh, we became good friends. He was from Japan. And for the time he was there, it was kind of like having a, the brother I never had, my Japanese brother that I never had. And uh, you know, we were about the same size, and we were just buds, you know, in college, and did a lot together. He was only there for a short period of time, but we went to movies. He was just always into checking out new American things. And I just loved, you know, sh- me and some of my buddies would show him around the town and stuff. And, and um, there came a point when he wanted to know um, what, you know, what, what this what our beliefs were, and he certainly wanted to know. Um, he saw something different with some of the people that were on our wing, some of the people who followed Christ. He, he saw a different kind of relationship, and he wanted to know what that was all about. And so we began to share with him about a God who loved him. And every time we shared, this man, he, he would just tear up in the eyes, and he, he'd begin to weep because he'd never heard of a personal God. He'd never, from where he was from, he'd just never been introduced to a God who loved him. And, and so, but this is the foundation, under, helping people understand and just for us to nail down the fact that there is a God who loves us. And he wants to connect with each one of us personally. The second thing is this. We also need to believe that Jesus Christ is, is God. This is, this is the core of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ, there is a God and he is God. This is what the Bible teaches in John 1, verse 1. John 1, 1 is a it's a foundational verse. It says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's an interesting verse, okay? It's, it uses capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's talking about this person known as the Word, or, or this thing, or this person. And then in verse 14, he kind of defines who this character is. Verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. These are, this is written from John, <clears throat> one of Christ's followers. And he's saying, this word, the word, you know, in the beginning, he was there in the beginning. He was with God in creation. He was, he was creating. Not only was he with God, but he was God. And that God, says in verse 14, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We've seen him, he said. He says, we've walked with him. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's saying, Jesus Christ himself is God. And again, um, this, this verse really clarifies some important truths about God. That God is, he's one. But the Bible says that God has expressed himself for all eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has these three persons. He has this nature that involves three persons, but he's still one God. For us... We can't ever get our mind fully around this concept. It's known as the Trinity, the three in one. And, you know, if you've, if you've been around church um, for any part of your life, you've, you've heard this. You've heard about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, they're all God. But they play different ro- roles within what's known as God's nature. They pr- play different roles. And Jesus Christ, um, in, he carried out a plan that God the Father had been initiating for all eternity. A plan that would redeem all of us. It would give us all an opportunity to connect with the one God. 
And so Jesus came to make that possible. <clears throat> so that's, that's really the second most important thing. Then another thing is this. We also need to believe that Jesus Christ, he actually did live. Um, you, you can't be a follower of Christ and reject this claim, that Jesus Christ really did live. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again and ascended into heaven. You know, anybody seen Dragnet, you know, just the facts, ma'am? I don't know if that was a quote from there. I think it was, but that was, you know, it's important that we understand what are the facts? What exactly happened in Jesus' life? And this is kind of the Dragnet experience or the Dragnet statement. You know, here's the facts about the beliefs, the the actual facts, the historical facts of Jesus Christ, what he did. Um, This is from Paul to the church in Corinth. He says, He says this, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel means good news. The gospel that I preach to you, which you have received, and on which you have taken your stand. He's saying that you need to understand the good news, the message that you're standing on. By this gospel, verse 2 says, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. He's saying, pay attention. You need to understand this. You need to Stake your life on these claims. Otherwise, this faith, it's worthless. It's, it's, you're believing, you're wasting your time. So understand these things. And here's what they are. He said, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's the first thing. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That tagline, according to the Scriptures, is referring back to the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, before Jesus came. There's prophecies that said that God would send His Messiah to to redeem his people. So this was a fulfillment of something that God had spoken about long before. And so he's saying, that's the first thing. Jesus Christ, you know, he died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. Verse 4 says that he was buried. So he was actually physically declared dead. Soldiers came. They checked Jesus. He was dead. They knew how to check if a person was living or dead. If they weren't dead, they would they would break their legs so that the People dying on crosses couldn't push themselves up any further to take more of a breath. And so when coming to Jesus, they would have broken his legs, but they checked, they speared his side, and they saw that his heart had ruptured. He was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. He was already dead. They took him off the cross later that day. They buried him in the ground where he was for three days. And it says on the third day, according to the Scriptures, he was raised. And then he, Now here's the thing that's astounding. It says in verse 5 that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. He's talking about the 12 followers, the 12 disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You know, the reason he says this at the end, like he's appeared to all these people. Even at one point, he appeared to over 500 people, most of whom are still living. The reason he says that is because he's saying, if you don't believe me, they're still alive. You can go check with them, you know. Go to Jerusalem, check with the people that, that saw Jesus in his risen state. You can check. You need, you know, he's saying you need to understand the power of the resurrection. It's the resurrection that gives us hope as Christians. If you're going to stake your life in Christianity um, and try to do life God's way, then, then the resurrection is something you don't want to wash over. It's not something you want to forget about because it's what holds the power to changing our lives for all eternity. The resurrection is God's power that changed him, that raised him from the dead. 
And Paul, he says in verses uh, 17 through 19, you don't have this, but it, it just makes some interesting statements. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life that we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than most men. So he's saying, you know, if, if Jesus wasn't raised, then it's all just a big waste of time again. Verses uh, 29 through 32 at the end of this same chapter, or near the end, he says, he says, now if there is no resurrection, I'm sorry, hang on. Here, here's what I'm trying to get to. He says, as for us, in verse 30, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Because Paul was a man who constantly was being followed by trouble. Everywhere he went and he shared the message of Christ, it was, he, he encountered people who were hostile to the message of Christ, and so he kept getting beaten up. He'd go to this town... He get beaten up. One time, um, he was beaten, left for dead. That was, I think, in chapter 14, where he's talking to the people who believed in Zeus and Hermes. You know, at some point, a crowd came. They saw what he was saying. They beat him, left him for dead. And it says, when he finally came to, he went to the next town. He shared the same message. Well, not long after, the people from the town that beat him up heard that he was on the move, and so they ran after him. They beat him up again. And poor guy, man, he's just running all over the the Mediterranean, sharing this message of hope, but he's paying a dear price. And in verse 30, he's saying, you know, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? He says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, if I fought wild animals, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's saying, This is just a big waste of time if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Our hope is found in the fact that he did. So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, it's something you need to to make sure you've nailed down, that you believe that he, in fact, died, was buried, and he rose from the dead. Another thing is this. is, is believing that Jesus, his death on the cross, it did something. It paid the penalty for my rebellion against God. That's the first thing. It paid the penalty. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. It says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Scripture says that all of us go our own way in life. Every single one of us decide to live independently from God. We just kind of set off for a course of our own lives, heading in a direction that seems best to us. All of us. Every single person. And it says, As we're walking our own way, God demonstrated how much He loved us by sending Jesus to die for us. He didn't wait until we got our acts together. He didn't wait until we began to be interested in Him. But God sent His Son to die for us so that we could have real hope. <clears throat> Colossians 1.19 says the same thing. It says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in the heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. So God made peace with man through the blood of Jesus Christ. He made peace with people who were going their own way in life. He decided to make a way for them to, to reconnect with God, to establish the kind of relationship that God wants for all of us and that he, he designed us to have. The other thing is Jesus' death on the cross is the only way into relationship with God. This is not what I just say. This is clearly, a, a, this is clearly made, points made in the Bible. The Bible is very clear, and Jesus made very pointed statements about um, the fact that he was the only way to God. 
And it's not my own efforts. It's not my works. I can't do it enough good to earn God's favor. We, we try and try and try to connect with God. We want to establish a relationship with God. We want to go our own way in life. And we want to, we, we're curious about this. We're curious about who God is. And so sometimes we think, if I just do enough good in my life, and if it balances out at the end, then I'm sure that God will be okay. And I'll get to experience eternity with Him in heaven. And the Scripture says this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. This is not the fact that we have a, a, a shot. A, you know, God gives us chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity to come to Him. It's not because of any good that we did. It's not like we did enough good to where you unlocked a new level. Like I played some video games with my son. You know, and if you, if you uh, get really far and you discover something, you can unlock a new level, and then all of a sudden the mysteries of the game begin to unfold. I think sometimes we think the same. If I just do enough good in my life, then God will begin to unlock new levels of perspective. And then, so the more good I do, the better shot I got at really getting connected to God, but that's just not how it works. We could never do enough good. We could never unlock enough levels for God to, to, to be satisfied because our, our life of rebellion is not what he intended. Scripture says that when we, when we live um, independently from God, we've missed his mark for our lives. And because of that, it's broken fellowship. And so what he did was he stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, and he himself paid the penalty. As Jesus, he paid the penalty for our rebellion. He suffered and died the death that, that, that we all deserve for going our own way in life. That's, that's the message of, of grace. The other thing is, no other Savior or system can bring me to God. Jesus' death on the cross is the only way, and there's no other way. The Scripture declares this. Jesus said in John 14:6. He said this to His followers, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's just saying, you've got to go through me to get to heaven. You've got to go through Jesus to have a relationship with God. He's saying, I'm the only way. One of Jesus' followers in Acts 4.12 said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. You know, there's just he, God was very clear about this. The, the, the great thing about this is it's true that the Bible teaches that there is this exclusive approach for those who decide to follow Christ, they can have a relationship with God and connect with Him. And, then, and life truly opens up when we connect with Him. But the amazing thing is that God is the one who initiated this plan. He initiated it, and then He made a way for it to happen through the life and death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. That resurrection gives us hope that when we die, um, God will also raise us He'll, you know, that death is not the end of us. For those that follow Christ, the Scripture says that really just unlocks um, a brand new life. We'll spend eternity in heaven. But even our lives right now can be drastically changed. God begins to just transform us from the inside, the way we live, the way we relate to people. And I think so many of us, so many of you, you know, you see that. You, you begin to walk with God and you try to do what He says and you just see, wow, this, this really is amazing. My life is coming together. You know, we, we encounter hard times still, but you get perspective that things just begin to make sense in a way that it never had. I know that was for me. God really turned on the lights in some areas of my life when I decided to follow Him. Some areas that just 
really, I kept hitting dead, at, dead end after dead end after dead end. And things were, I could not put it together. And then God had to put it together for me through relationship with his son, Jesus. <clears throat> the last part of this, if you flip it over, is just, I, I must believe to the extent that I trust him. So it's believing all those things that he's God, he died for us, but then I must believe to the extent that I actually trust him with my life. I trust him as my savior. I'm relying on Christ Jesus to have paid my debt before God. We're, we're not trusting, again, in our own good works, but we're trusting that God himself has made things right in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at Colossians 1.22. If you skip ahead to Colossians 1.22, it says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in this sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The fact that we've all been going our own way in life, God looks past that when he looks at our lives. For those who are in Christ, he looks at the righteousness. He looks at all the good that Jesus did, the perfect life that he lived, and he views us very differently. Many, many people find it very easy to believe and to trust him as their Savior, but the most difficult thing, I believe, is to trust him as, as our Lord, as to submit to him as my God, the one who's, who's calling the shots in my life, yielding my, my every area of my life to him. That's, that is a huge decision. And probably the most challenging decision that most of us will ever make is deciding to hand our lives over to, to a God who cares about us, who loves us, but we still think, can I really trust him with my life? That's a decision we all have to make. It's not anything that anyone can pressure you to make or try to conjure up for you. But, but truly, um, that decision to make him Lord is critical, to, to surrender your life to him. Um, so this really summarizes just what's the core message of faith in Christ. It's, it's all those things. Um, we'd love to clarify more about what this all means. Um, there certainly is more we could talk about, but we're going to um, just wrap things up. We're going to continue having some worship songs. And, um, but on the card, if you would like any more information about how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can check the box and then just drop these cards in the offering. The offering plates are going to be coming around in a few songs. And when they do come around, just drop these welcome cards in there. If you'd like to, um, if you check that box, I'll send you some information. I'm not going to come knock on your door not going to meet you in a grocery store like the guy did on the video. Simply just send you some information. I'd like to answer any questions you have so that you can investigate a relationship with Jesus at your own pace. It's not something we want to pressure you into deciding. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you for just the, um, the way that the Bible can make sense, Lord, and, and that <clears throat> God, it... it it's not only a good book that has some interesting stories, but God, this is this. Your word has the power to truly change our lives, and a relationship with you has the power to just unlock, you know, meaning and purpose. Some things that that all of us really long for, Lord. And so, God, I pray that um, that all of us, Lord, who who you know, we're we're just on this journey in life, and we're trying to um, we're just trying to make it. It sometimes feels like it. And so, Lord, I pray that. You would lead us, Lord, as we, as we live and um, help us, Lord, to, to stay connected to you. For those of us that already know you and follow you, help us to stay close to you, Lord. Help us to walk with you daily, Lord, and not to try to just wander off on our own, doing life our own way. And for those that are still in the process of just considering what this all means, Lord, I pray that you just 
would be speaking to them about these things, Lord, and that you'd, um, you'd raise questions in their own minds that, 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 that they really want to get answered, Lord. And I pray you just create opportunities for them to be answered, God. Thank you for everybody that's come this morning, and we just ask that you'd refresh us this week, Lord, be with us as we just deal with you know, the difficult things in life that we're all facing, God. So we ask for your strength and your power, God, to be at work within us, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.